Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I can't believe I just scratched that car. Find my insurance card. Dude, what do you have in this glove box? Ew, are these socks dirty? Oh, forget about the socks. I need my insurance card. Just pull it up on the State Farm mobile app. But I can do that? Oh, hey, I can do that. Yep, it's called service. I can file a claim on here, too? Yeah, it's it's called service. Whoa, I can call my agent, too? It's called service. Insurance with local agent? It's called service. Call State Farm agent Megan Roberts in Atlantic today. Well, hello and welcome to episode 70 of Potterooney! 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 And this one is with Christy Dignam. Uh, this one was recorded maybe two weeks ago. I went to Christy's house. And uh, it was only the second or third time, perhaps, that I met Christy, but we had a great chat, and it's really uh, one of my favorite already interviews. At the moment, I'm uh, doing this introduction from a park in the Bronx in New York, in the United States of America, in, uh, what's it called, Van Cortland Park. And I'm walking around what is one of those uh, baseball places you know where you where the American dads watch their kids throw a ball and and hit it uh, and uh, I've been down and I'm staying down in a place called Woodlawn which is pretty Irish I just walked by a load a load of pubs one of them's called the Ramble Inn of course <laughs> and uh, one was called Behan's and on Behan's they had a poster for an upcoming band called Dreams of Freedom Dreams of Freedom with uh, a poster of uh, three lads looking very patriotic all together. All the way from Ireland, Dreams of Freedom, folk songs and rebel song, rebel songs. I mean, seriously, Dreams of Freedom, you know, I mean, isn't it a bit bad time that we kind of gave up on that whole thing? I mean, we are, we, the only freedom that we possibly need to be uh, uh, free of, the only thing we need to be free of now, it's not really oppression of uh, the British but the oppression of the Catholic Church because I've just been reading a lot about the tomb uh, women and babies uh, home if you could call it a home because a home is where uh, you you would uh, imagine you'd find comfort and love but certainly it wasn't any of that in the tomb home and uh, this being uh, 
today as I'm doing this it's uh, International Women's Day so it's uh, quite poignant that uh, that uh, story has come out recently and hopefully uh, yeah so hopefully uh, I mean, there's a lot of, uh, of uh, people shouting about it uh, and some of it may be over the top because it was a different society and I don't, I'm not forgiving anything but I'm just uh, saying some people are saying how could the mothers of the young girls send them to these places so and obviously it does seem really wrong and cruel but the whole when the whole of society I guess is the whole of society is brainwashed in that way the difficulties of having I've been a a young teenage uh, pregnant girl unmarried and uh, the shame that it would bring on your on your family and uh, it's a difficult situation, isn't it? So, it's, uh, but I was just talking to Mary Coughlin two days ago for the next podcast, which will be going out in a week or so. And uh, uh, her, her situation growing up as well. She, well, that's you know, I mean, it's just that a whole whole society is insane. Isn't that madness? That the whole of there's no one you can turn to in trouble because the whole of society just is brainwashed in this uh, with this Catholic attitude that uh, really you know, all that matters is that you uh, uh, that you are all sinners and that you have to uh, cleanse yourself of your sin and be guilty about for what you've done and that you're some kind of animal or something to have to have wanted to uh, have had sex which is the most you know it's basically what nature wants you to do it's what nature wants you to do is to have just to have sex and to uh, to have children I mean so what was I talking about oh that song so the rebel songs it just seemed a bit ridiculous that they could still be singing about when will Ireland be free from uh, the oppression of the uh, British when uh, Really, it should be the, the oppression of the Catholic Church that we should be singing. I don't think there's any rebel songs about that, rebellion against the Catholic Church. I don't, can't think of any. There should be loads of them, you would imagine. Um, so uh, I'm going to do a gig tonight in uh, Rory Dolan's in uh, the Bronx here. It's a charity gig for a man who's suffering from a degenerative disease that attacks the nerves, ALS, and... We are doing it with. I'm doing it with Barry Crimmins, who I interviewed here on the podcast, and he 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 uh, he ran a club up in Boston. Uh, uh, he's got a. There's a documentary called Call Me Lucky, which you can watch on Netflix. But uh, he ran a club up in Boston that Stephen Wright and uh, and Bill Hicks, people like that, started out in. And there's another guy on called Dan Vital, and he is a legend of comedy as well, and started out with people. Um, like Bill Hicks and uh, Sarah Silverman and people like that and I will be interviewing him for the podcast as well but if uh, I'm going to let you go now and have a listen to Christy Dignama so uh, I um, obviously admit a lot of people might have uh, this might be their first time listening to the podcast uh, do go back into the archive and we're going to start off this uh, chat with Christy talking about a fella called uh, Willie White who I've interviewed in the podcast as well and it's probably one of my favourite interviews so uh, if you want to know who we're talking about at the very beginning of this podcast uh, go back and have a listen to Willie White's well I'll talk to you on the other side I'm uh, 
I'm going to uh, get ready. I just went for a run as well around the Bronx, and uh, I don't know why I said that, but it's just—it's always a nice thing to go for a run wherever you're at in the world because you get to see the neighbourhood. So that was cool, and it's a lovely warm day. I thought it'd be freezing cold. It's beautiful. The sun is is shining. The leaves are not on the trees, but uh, it looks like winter, but it feels like summer. Uh, this will be a, this will be a lovely Irish summer's day. This is probably nothing over here, but yeah. So uh, this is Christy Dignam. See you on the other side. <laughs> Christy, um, I uh, I was just actually up there talking to uh, I don't know if you know Eric Lawler. Eric Lawler is a comedian. He lives up in Poppentry anyway. I do know him. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's good. Yeah, he's good. And yeah. Willie White. And Willie White's great. Yeah. He's from uh, Ballymun. That's right. Yeah. It's funny. I I met Willie the first time I met Willie. We were up and we were doing a gig in Mount Joy, and he was a prisoner at the time. And uh, I remember looking at him, and he was in fucking bits, you know, and thinking, Jay's, he, he, I think he had six months left of a sentence. I said, he's not even going to make the next six months. The next time I was with Willie, we were doing a gig in Mountjoy, and he was one of the artists. So it was fucking great, a great success story, you know. Right, yeah, yeah. Willie, Willie's a lovely bloke. The first so. time you saw him, he was in prison. Yeah, he was a prisoner at the time, you know, yeah. so... And, and so then when we went back up, he was he was uh, performing for the prisoners the next time I seen him, you know, which was great because I thought he was, when I seen him in prison, I thought, and this fella's fucked, you know. He's, yeah. Because he was really bad at the time. I think he was strung out and stuff at the time, you know. Yeah. I don't even mind me saying that, he knows, you no, know. No, I've talked to him uh, on the podcast and he's, right. he's kind of told me the whole yeah. story, yeah. So that was it, yeah. So Willie, Willie's mm. a cool bloke, you know. Yeah, he's funny. He's a funny fella. Did you grow up near Willie? Did you grow up? What, no, I grew up in Singles West there, yeah. But I would have known Willie when I, because I was strung out as well. So I, I mean, we used to score in Ballymun, so I kind of. Oh, you would have known him when you were. Uh, active. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's what you call it, active. Oh, that's what I call it, yeah. <laughs> yeah, okay. Right. An active participant. Right, yeah. okay. So tell me when you were, when you were growing up were you yeah. were you a performer well, like from an early age from a child did you feel like you yeah well, to do you know what? I didn't think I was and I looked at I look at kids now and they're in the Billy Barry school of fucking music and it sickens me it fucking sickens me and I was nearly one of those kids when I think about it right because when I was in school I was in the school choir I loved singing I always loved singing so I was singing from the times and when I remember being a young young kid like six, seven, eight, six, seven, eight, and hearing songs and thinking, when I'm a singer, I'm going to record that song. Yeah. Honest God, at that, that age, age. real weird. But then, when I was about 11, this woman started a troupe and fingers, the black and white minstrels. Very, yeah, very not, PC. Not. <laughs> but, uh, I, so, I got, went around getting all the photographs and burning them. <laughs> but, uh, so, I did that for a couple of years and we used to go around doing talent contests and all that, you know. Mm. So then, nothing for a while and then I was in when I was in secondary school uh, Joe Joel the guitarist of Asnan had formed a band and uh, they split up then so I, I went down to him I knocked down to him on Friday one Friday and said listen I want to get a band together do you want to get a band together 
And I said, I'll call back next Friday. And, and I'd done that for about five weeks. And then I went down one day and uh, we got a gig in the Ballymun Towers, actually. It was a force gig. Right. So we had a week or something to rehearse for it. And I remember the... Uh, it was it was for the Irish youth something something, but it was really an IRA fundraiser gig. Oh yeah. They asked us to play the bleed national anthem at the end of it. In the fucking clue. But I still don't know the national anthem. But uh so And was that like uh around time of punk or Oh that would have been yeah. that would have been around the evening before punk. Yeah. This would have been oh well the, the beginning of seventy five kind of, you know. So uh, and all oh, right, yeah. so you wouldn't it uh, wouldn't have been punk then, really? no. what kind of music were you doing? Was it covers, was it? Or? Yeah, 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 yeah. We used yeah. to do tin Lizzy covers and shit mm. like that, you know, mm. and oh, we didn't write songs, we didn't know I had, had a clue about never even thought of writing a song. Do you know what I mean? We used to do Bowie stuff and Tin Lizzy or whatever. Yeah. Lou Reed, all that sort of stuff. Tell me, how did Bowie affect you then growing up? Because uh, like for me, it, I Bowie actually cried. Fucking. I don't cry when famous <coughs> people die, but no, Bowie died. I'm, I'm still in fucking shock over the Bowie yeah. thing, you know. To me, you know, if, if my influences throughout my life was in a cake graph, he'd mm. be fucking three quarters of that cake, you know. Yeah. You know, he's a huge, huge influence. And, you know... You look at you look at artists now, right? Alice Cooper, right? Mm. Alice Cooper came out with an idea, like we were talking about a few minutes ago with you about the Father Ted thing, right? Oh yeah. Alice Cooper came out with an image back in the fucking seventies. If you see Alice Cooper today, he's the same haircut, same black eyes, same. and there's low. I meet loads of singers like that, or artists like that, mm. that he got a little niche twenty, thirty, forty years ago, mm. and they're still look at Bowie. Mm. You look at Bowie from 1975 up, and he grew old gracefully. Mm. Everything, even even his death was graceful. Even the way he fucking his funeral was graceful, had class. Mm. Everything about the man was just pure fucking class. And everything he did was at the highest echelons of fucking whatever he was trying, you know. And he did a lot of shit, you know. But the way the way I look yeah, at it is, he kept trying. Exactly you know. the way I look at it. I would rather, I would rather somebody like like for example, Radiohead are kind of another example where they come out with Creep and that kind of brilliant fucking albums and then done OK Computer, which is a total twist around, you know. Mm. And even if, it, if if you didn't like OK Computer and thought it was shit, at least he tried something fucking different. And Bowie was the same, mm. you know. You, you, you know when you're when you're trying something, trying to do something new. All the time, of course you're going to miss the target every now and again. Anyway, you could ask yourself, what is the target? Do you know what I'm saying? Mm. Maybe that was Bowie's target. It mightn't be your target. Do you know, it mightn't be what you wanted. See, see, you're in a weird position when you're, and I only know this from my small fucking um, association with music compared to Bowie. But your fans, right? For your next album, do you want the song to be like the last song, but different? Do you know what I mean? Mm. So you're trying to make something new and fresh, but still retain the same, the same themes or something that's in the, you know, so people still recognise you mm. as fucking who you are. Do you know what I mean? If we couldn't come out with a metal album now, do you know what I mean, or something like that? Well, we could. But, but I do think every band has a sound anyway, and no matter what style you try, you probably have the but look sound. Look at Bowie. Yeah. Would you say Bowie? Look at his sounds. Do you know what I mean? That's from Tom. But that's how good he is. You still know it's Bowie, though. That's because of his vocal. That's, yeah. that's because of his voice. Right. You know, he can't change the voice he has. Mm, He's still the yeah. same voice. Mm. And he, that's another thing that makes him brilliant. When, when I, I studied singing for fucking 13 years or something, and the one thing I learned about singing was that when, when we start off as singers, we like the way Bowie sings this, say, door, window, and room. We like the way Phil Linnett sings 
sky, plane and car and we get all these idioms yeah. and you end up putting all these idioms together and you start singing and you go well I was a roller and you're singing this fucking American mid-Atlantic accent mm-hmm. do you know what I mean? or you hear blokes from Fingless singing well I was going down the street just you know and you think what the fuck it's about stripping all that away and getting yeah. back to what you are and just, just getting your essence because that's the only thing that's original it's the only thing the world hasn't heard yeah. and Bowie seemed to know that Inherently, do you know what I mean? Yeah. So, so all the time. That's why I was saying he had that thing because he always sounded like Bowie. But that was his vocal. If you listen to what was going on behind him, that was totally different. It was, yeah. That's what I'm talking and it, about. But it did take him a while to discover himself. Yeah. His first time. The laughing now. Yeah, yeah. There's a bit of shit at the beginning. <laughs> of course, there was there's plenty of it actually. Yeah, and there's a bit of shit later on. You <laughs> yeah, know. That, yeah. You know. That's what I'm saying. When you're when you're trying something new and fresh. Mm. You're going to miss the target every now and again, mm. you know. But when he hit the once target... Once he hit it, once Hunky Dory came out, that was just incredible. Unbelievable. Yeah. Unfucking believable yeah. You know, and even even some of the stuff, even the Let's Stand stuff that would, you know, by, by the purest Bowie fans would be kind of looked down on. I still think there's some great songs. China, well, China Girls, a fucking yeah. Iggy Pop song. But there's some great stuff oh, on that album Let's Dance is a great yeah. but it's just people didn't like it because you meant that commercial and all yeah. but up to then Bowie had only sold up to a few years ago Bowie only sold 9 million albums now you look at fucking Shade sold 9 million of our first album mm. Bowie didn't sell a lot of albums and people used to be inspired by Bowie and like a lot would say people that like us that would be artists you know our in bands would have bought Bowie albums but the general public didn't and people thought Bowie was this huge huge star Bowie only started making money when the internet came out and he, he got on top of that he he became he was the first to get into that and use that as you know for, for selling his, his music and stuff so that's where he made all his money you know and that's an inc- you know so Bowie needed a let's dance to fucking pay the rent yeah. you know so. And oh, actually, can you remember the first time you saw Bowie? Did you see him on top of the pops or something like that? Was yeah, you? Life on Mars. And, I'll and never fucking forget yeah. it. I'll never forget it. Life on Mars was the first time I saw Bowie singing. You know, it was on top of the pops as well, yeah. and that was it. From that moment, it was the first record I ever bought, yeah. and from that moment on, I was sold. You know, and, and I remember looking at, I remember looking at uh, the NME years later. You know. And we say in the late seventies, he was playing in Newcastle, and I was trying to get the money up to go over to Newcastle to see him. Mm. And then, he, then when he brought out the Let's Dance album, he was playing in Milton Keynes. Went over the Serious Moonlight Tour, it was called. Went over there to see him. Got a fucking a, a train or a boat across to Hollyhead, bus down to London, another bus back up to Milton Keynes, just right. to see the gig. It was unbelievable, you know. Yeah. And then, you know, on the way back, we. Uh, we had a, a Bowie session in, in the television room on the boat and all, you know, it was bleeding great. Wow. And, and, the, and then, uh, is it? I think it's 30 years ago, you, you got to open for Bowie in the flame. Yeah, then, yeah. so then when, mm. when, when we got, we, we were signed to EMI and Bowie was with EMI at the time and we heard he was coming over here to Slane. So we said to the manager, I said, listen, we don't care if you never get us another gig. We don't care. If you don't do anything else for us, get us fucking support the Bowie in Slane. So we got it, and uh, you know that, that was a big moment, you know, because you know to play with Bowie was fucking huge. I remember at one point we had a song called "Sands of Time," and there was a kind of build-up in a kind of one, two, three, much, and the song kind of kicked mm. off. You know, it was in the middle of the song, and uh, there was Peter Frampton and Carlos Alomar, and Bowie were standing at the side of the stage, and they kind of looked at each other, and you know. 
and it was fucking. You got like the thumbs up. The yeah, and that that was like unfucking believable, you know, unbelievable. Just to think, to think they even heard one of our songs. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, that's that's incredible actually. Yeah. Um, I, like, I just think it's amazing though when you're growing up. Like I grew up in a farm, I faith. You grew up in Fingless, but you both identified with Bowie. Yeah, that's incredible. You see, you, know, you see, yeah, that's the thing. Sorry. But it's just an escape from that humdrum world. Yeah. You see, there's there's something out there that yeah. you can attain or that you but can... But the fact that he could, we could yeah. both identify with them, coming, as you say, from totally mm. different places, you know, yeah. that's the sign of a true great artist. Because mm. a great artist can... Like, you look at the songs like My Way, you know, or mm. uh, Go On Now, Go, Walk Out The Door, Just Turn Around Now. Every mm. woman on earth would like to think that the bloke that shafted her back when she was a teenager was walking up to the door and she said, no, fuck off, go on. <laughs> Every board would love to think that's her, you know. You listen to my way. Everybody would love to be at the end of their life thinking, you know, I might have done this wrong, that yeah. wrong, but I did it my way. So when you can get into that, when you can hit that, that nerve, that, that hits mass, and Bowie had that. Mm. So it just proves it in what you just said. We came from totally different backgrounds, yet we could both identify with them, you know. Mm. Because... As you say, it's an escape from the from whatever we whatever our normal life was. It was escape out of that. Mm. You know what I mean? And that's but, what Bobby brought to the pet table. But I think you might have thought. I mean, I would have thought growing up and uh, that uh, being in a van was an unattainable thing. Until, oh, absolutely! Yeah. Until punk happened, would you yeah, agree there? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I remember. It's funny. I remember somebody telling me about the uh, about uh, Slade. Do you remember the band Slade? Slade yeah. And I heard you were from Wolverhampton, from a working class place like Fingless, mm. and that fucking blew me away. That was an epiphany for me, because mm. I thought you were born a rock star. Do you know what I mean? I thought God appeared yeah. to Mick Jagger and says, you have the divine right to be a rock star and appeared to Bowie and all these people. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So then, when the punk thing happened, uh, then, then you know, when we were growing up, they were the bands we were looking at, and all that prog rock was huge, Genesis and bands like that, mm. Pink Floyd and stuff, and they were all way unattainable, well. so yeah. unattainable. Yeah. It was so far beyond your, the realm of your world, and then punk happened, and that was just holy fuck. Here it is. Now you could, you could that, that I loved it. You know, the whole everything about it. You know, do you remember the dandelion mark? I don't know if you're around for all yeah, that, was that period, yeah. but that was just the fucking energy. It's funny, I had a, a big row with John Carney who wrote that Sing Street. You know, the Sing Street, yeah, yeah, Sing Street, the film. Yeah. We were out, and um, I, I was going to, uh, you know, the can I have the cancer thing, I was going to the hospital mm. there a few weeks ago. I'm still I'm doing chemo at the moment, and I was on my way in, and I seen a bus. This is a while, went before the film came out. And I seen or new Irish movie, fucking the new commitments, Irish production, Irish this, Irish that, Irish the other, you know. Mm. Fucking great, great, called Sing Street. It's a musical mm. featuring Spandau Ballet, fucking mm. Duran Duran, who were uh, uh, fucking all these English bands, you know. Mm. So I thought, oh, that's a bit fucking weird, you know. So I met John Kearney in RTA, I was doing the Late Late Show, and he was there. And he said something, he asked me what I thought or something. He asked me, and I said, Well, I'll tell you, I says, I thought it was strange that you were writing about a time in Ireland when music was probably the best it's ever been in vibrancy, do you know what I mean? Yeah. And a new idea, it's like your band, of Gornica, yeah, yeah. just fucking blue in heavens. All, whether you like them or not, the Cactus World the Cactus News until a new house, DC9, some kind of wonderful event yeah, called yeah, Some yeah, Kind yeah, of Wonder. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like that was fire, yeah. brilliant, like a big fire. Yeah, yeah. So he wrote a movie 
in Ireland about a time and but didn't have one Irish fucking song in it, you know. So he said, Oh there Glenn Hansard wrote the theme song or something. Right. Yeah. Do you know, but this thing that this thing in Ireland that we still have, that we have to be endorsed by fucking England before we're taken seriously, it's ridiculous. It's it's ridiculous. It is ridiculous. I, know, I get annoyed by that all the time. Yeah, and a lot of uh, even in the comedy world. Yeah, especially in the comedy world. On BBC, people yeah. think you're amazing. That's it. That's it. Or you <laughs> go on to the Apollo. The oh, the English Apollo. like you. You must be good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you, you have to go. You know these um, hmm. QI or so. You know these programs. If you yeah. appear on one of them, you know the panel programs. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like uh, uh, not 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 Jason Bourne. You know the other Bourne. Uh, Ed Bourne. Ed Bourne. Hmm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. He, that's all he does, as far as I'm concerned. Because I've never seen him fucking standing up and doing a, a, a comedy show. I've never seen him in a sitcom. I've never seen him in anything else. The only thing I ever seen him on is panel shows. Panel shows, yeah. But um, maybe that's his bag. <laughs> I don't know. So like. The first band is that the band Electron. Is Electron. So that's yeah, so, yeah. so yeah. So we found Electron, which is doing all these covers and stuff like that. So then punk kind of happened for us, say in seventy six. Punk sort of happened in say seventy six, seventy seven when it happened yeah. for us. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, Over here, yeah. by the time it really got here, you know, in its full force, and then the, uh, the, all the things changed. So then, Aslan Art. Oh, well, you were in Electron. Electron were gone mm. then. That that was we had to knock that on the head because oh, Electron was before the punky thing. Yeah, was it? ah, right, 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 right. So then we found a band called Mila, Mila 18. eighteen. Now I lived on Shanless Road for about a year and a half. Right. And I used to see Mila eighteen graffitied everywhere, and I didn't know what it meant, or what it was. Yeah. It was unbelievable. Yeah. Well, <laughs> the, we used to have uh, my brother used to do that. He used to just go around. He had a, yeah. he had a fucking. Um, a stencil yeah just a piece of cardboard with a thing cut out to me and I used to go and spray it, it was everywhere. everywhere where's the name come from it's a book by Leon Euris it's oh, about right. uh, Mila 18 was a was a, a a house in Warsaw it was the uh, the address of a house in Warsaw that used to hide the Jews used to hide in oh, right. during the second world war okay. and uh, it was like a, a um like in the Anne Frank type, a safe house, or yeah, it was. There was kind of a, do you know the the, the, the French resistance? So it was like a, a Polish resistance right. kind of thing going on. And Leon Euris wrote a book about it called Mila Eighteen. So for some reason that impressed us, pressed pressed me when I was a kid. Mm. So you know we got always looking yeah. for a name. And before we did it, XV one 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 because we thought that would be cool. Roman you know? Euro- yeah. Because you're so intellectual, you know? <laughs> <laughs> you know the way you are. Well, you so. know the way a lot of, well, even the band I was in, Guernica, was a bit pretentious, to be honest. But you are pretentious I, when you're a kid, you know. You know, don't, yeah. you know it's fucking great. Because we were talking about George Bourne, and that's what he hated about our name as well, that we were just normal lads trying to be pretentious. I remember he used to hate the name Les Enfants as well. He'd go, what the fuck are you fucking yeah. French? Like, what do yeah. you just call it? The children. Yeah, but that would be, I think he's right in that sense about yeah. Les Enfants, you know. Yeah. Because, you know, it's like what we were talking about, the accents thing. Why do we assume, like, we hear Bob Marley, and it sounds exotic to us, you know, that, mm. that Jamaican accent. Mm. We hear Damon Albarn sing, talking in his Cockney accent, we think that's fucking exotic. Mm. We hear Liam Gallagher in his Manchester accent. Did they not realise that when they hear our Dublin accents, they think that's exotic. Mm. Do you know what I mean? But, you know, we, we always kind of try to copy or emulate all these Yeah, but things. I think I was talking to someone about that. I think that's still a hangover of colonialism. Absolutely. And that we, we, Absolutely yeah. it is. And it's the same thing what we talked about, about this endorsement that we still need mm. from... I remember doing a thing a few years ago, right? Um, I did this, the Irish football song, 
you know, the the World Cup in the World Cup, right? Yeah. So I sang the whole song. It was actually in a house song, and uh, they changed the lyrics of it into oh, uh, great art or uh, whatever. You know, yeah. it wasn't a great art. It was no, another one. Another one. No. Anyway, it doesn't. I can fit and I forget it now. Anyway, I did the whole song, right? So. Um, Nicky Bourne out of Westlife came in and done a few doo-wops in the chorus, right? Mm. So Ray Darcy was at the run of the whole thing. He, he organised it all and it was for his show and all this carry on. And it became the official Irish song of that year, right? Mm. Uh, the football song. So we're doing a video for it and we're, we're in the... the uh, he said, right, we have to be in the airport hotel on Sunday at fucking two o'clock to do the video for it. The, foot, the Irish football team are going to be there and we're going to do this video. Mm. I arrived at two o'clock, right? So he said, well, can wait, could you wait there for a while? So I sat in the lobby of the hotel till half four, right? I'm fucking sitting there and I'm starting to crack up, right? Mm. So half four, the whole thing started to kick off. Nicky Bourne walked in then. He ran over. Oh, we have a, a room for you, Nicky. Do you hear the fucking room? Brought up to a room with bleeding sandwiches and coffee and all. Mm. I'm f- I sang the fucking song. And I'm sitting there since two o'clock like a fucking doorman. Do you know what I mean? And this was simply because he was in Westlife. Do you know mm. what I mean? Mm. And that's a, that infuriates me. A mm. fucking, it's ridiculous. It's outrageous that you would treat. And I, I remember at the time saying to Ray Darcy, mm. this is fucking outrageous the way you would treat another Irish artist. I said, I have earned, I have done more to earn respect in this country as a musician than that cunt will ever do. Mm. But he's earned more money, so you could treat him like that. That's mm. fucking, I said, that's disgusting what you just done. Huge row. That's, it's a, it's a throw back as you said from mm. from the famine and the colonialism and all that it's a throwback to all that yeah we still feel inferior inferior and you yeah. have to not that have our caps to the british you know yeah i would have thought that would be gone by the time this new generation came along but it doesn't seem to have no it's, it's that's in our it's dna it's going to take a long time for yeah. that to get out of us yeah. you know like it's only 100 what 200 150 years ago the famine you know when you think right. about it yeah um, I was going to say so Mila 18 they were kind of punky so, so we yeah, we, we kind of got into the punky you know the whole vibe the ethos of the whole punk thing mm. I just loved all that you know and I said we used to go to see all the you know punk bands were coming out in the north the Outcast and Rudy and all that do you remember all those bands just yeah. coming out in the north and we used to go they'd be playing the McGonagall's and all that Oh man, just brilliant. Fucking brilliant. I loved it. Loved it. And it opened it, it made I'm it possible, about, didn't it? Uh, what other venues have we got? The Magnet, right? The Magnet. That's what we played in the Magnet. We used to play there with the blades, supporting the blades and stuff. And, yeah. But uh, the yeah, the, the, the bag the of toners. Rooms. Toners. Do you remember toners beside the bag? Of, yeah, yeah. It was yeah. the kind of downgrade from the bag, of, you know? <laughs> so those McGonagall's, all those places. Uh, Fuck the, the the top hat out in Dunleer. You went to see the Clash out there. Oh, were you there? The Virgin Prunes as well. They used to go to see them in the in the Project Art Centre. And mm. there was all these. There was a great gig called the Twenty Four Hour Gig Into Darkness. Do you remember that? You yeah. two played it. The, the a lot of bands come over me and come down to the north. Uh, the Virgin Prunes. It was just twenty four hours. P- Pill played it actually. Wow. But um, it was great. Yeah. Wow. Um. So was 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 me to eighteen not. What made you change? What changed from Mila 18 to Aslan? It's, just, it's all the same lineup, isn't it? Right. We're oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So we're going along with Mila 18, and we are. We are right. You know, it's funny. Les Enfants had a bit of a hand in it. Mm. We are playing in the Ivy Rooms. Do you remember the Ivy Rooms yeah. in Parnell yeah. Street? I played there myself. Yeah. So we were upstairs and they were downstairs, and it was a, it was a Saturday night, I think, and um, the play, gig was jammed, right? And there was about ten people at Les Enfants' gig. 
So the following Monday, I opened the paper and Les Enfants signed multi-million pound deal with Chrysalis Records. I couldn't fucking believe it, you know. I was saying, these cunts can't even draw a crowd in, in Dublin, you know. And so went to, I was working in Telecom Ireland at the time, I was a telephone technician. And Joe was the same, the guitarist. And uh, so I went to the band the next day and I said, right, I'm leaving my job. We're going full time with this music. I says because the only way I says, because we have these jobs, it's robbing us of the hunger to succeed. Because we know we've got these jobs to fall back on, you know. So I says I'm, I'm leaving my job. So Joe says yes, so am I. There was a piano player we had worked in Guinnesses, and he said, "Oh, me bollocks, I'm not leaving my job," you know. So he's dead in the show. So it cut down to just me and Joe. I think it was the only two left from Aslan. So we had a guy that used called Mick McKenna. He used to be in Depeche Mode. He was living in Ballymun. He was going to Ballymun Camp, and we heard about this guy. So he, he played bass guitar, mm. and when Depeche Mode went all synthy, he fucked them out. Yeah. <laughs> so we grabbed him. Yeah. So he came in. So we were going around at the time in Fingers. There was all these, the Alien Comfort and all, there was all these bands. So we were, I was trying to get the best musicians out of every band, do you know what I mean? Yeah. So Alan Downey was uh, the drummer from, from Alien Comfort, yeah. but he was only about fucking... 12 or something at the time I can't remember but he couldn't go into pubs or anything we used to have to lie about his age and all to play in the lights of the bag but we asked him to join and he says uh, let me think about it I felt like slapping the head <laughs> off me I'm a little cunt you're getting a chance to be an air band because you know we always think your band's the best band in the world yeah so uh, I thought he was a cheeky little bastard but I kind of admired his spunk as well do you know what I mean that he done because he was much younger than us so, so that was that so we were going along and then we got Tony McGuinness in the band and Tony played acoustic guitar, right? And Mick was playing bass, the Depeche Mode dude. Now, Mick was a good songwriter, but Jordan, we know you'd sit down for a break in a rehearsal. Tony would pick up the bass. And, Holy fuck, you know, he just he's killed it. He's a great bass player. He still is. Tony's a fantastic bass player. Yeah. To have a listen to some of his bass of, of our early stuff. And he played fretless bass a lot at the, at the beginning. Beautiful bass player. He was influenced by Pino Palladino. Do you remember Pino Palladino? No. He used to play with Paul Young and all those people. Oh, right. He was yeah, a great bass player. Guy, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah, him. That was big. Mick Karen played the fretless around the same time for Japan, right? Mm. Yeah, all that. Yeah. yeah Tony yeah. would have been influenced by. That was yeah. the, that was after the punk thing, wasn't it? The new romantic yeah, thing, you know. So, um, so Tony. So anyway, we said to Mick one day, "Listen, you'll have to go on acoustic and work it." So Mick wasn't having that. So Mick left the band. We were down to a four piece. Mm. So it was me, Joe, uh, Tony, and Alan. We were the four members of Meal Eighteen. Mm. So then we were going around doing a few gigs. So we were doing a thing called Lark Boy Lark in the Park. Mm. Dave Fanning used to run it. And Les Enfants, yes, yeah. in, the, in the park, St. Anne's Park. Yeah. So Les Enfants were the headline band. We were the opening band. We were the the, the, the kind of the lowest of the support bands. So we we, we got Billy. Billy was uh, he asked could he do backing vocals, and so we used to get him to do backing vocals. So the boy he used to come. We used to rehearse in Alan's gaff in his garage, and Billy worked in bowling. He was a baker, so he used to come. We used to rehearse five days, six days a week from nine till five every day so Billy used to come up about three o'clock after work with a load of cakes yeah. so we used to let him rehearse because he used to bring the cakes up right so we got a fanning session Do you I was just a, a quick one on the gig just the St. Anne's gig we went out and the gig was on a Sunday and on a Friday I had to go over to an industrial estate in fucking Ballyferm and I bought this dry ice right blocks of dry ice yeah. so we had to wrap them in fucking bales of newspaper and put them in these big cardboard boxes to stop it melting right because yeah. we were going to use these on the gig yeah in, in the park and in, in know, the dry ice was actually something you physically bought like yeah we, we bought the blocks of it yeah, yeah. 
So, <laughs> great idea. So we went out on stage and fucking put the cries. One went, fucking gone. Yeah. You couldn't have lighting a cigarette on stage. You couldn't <laughs> even fucking see it. Oh, really? The, the work we had to put in to get keeping this dry ice alive, do you know what I mean? And fucking ridiculous. But anyway, yeah. so that was a funny thing. So anyway, so Billy used to come up. So we got a fanning session, mm. you know, and we got £190 for it. The fanning, we used to get paid to do a fanning session. Mm. We'd done three songs. So we went up to the boot in, it's up past the airport, and we got fucking pissed. You know, it was the first time ever to earn money in a band. Mm. So we got absolutely pissed. So the next day, we went up to rehearsal at nine o'clock, you know, and Billy arrives in at nine o'clock. I said, what the fuck are you down here, you know, wet and no cakes? What's the story? He said, oh, you asked me last night to join the band. I went, oh, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> so that's how Billy got into the band. He's been in ever since. Yeah, so then he picked up yeah. a bit of keyboard, or a bit of keyboard, a bit of harmonica, and yeah. he became an integral part of Aslan, but, you know, that's how he got into the band. So that's how... Can, can you put your finger on why, like, even in Miller 18, you were getting big crowds I don't fucking know to this day I still don't know why, how we do it I swear to God like we did three Vicar Streets just there at Christmas mm. and just sold out the three gigs are sold out I st- and, and like I getting young kids like 18 mm. 16 year olds to fucking 70 there was no one can se- celebrate our 80th birthday at Vicar Street last mm. Christmas you know Right through, I don't know how that. Well, I mean, I, I can, I can really see how, how you do it now. But when you're starting now, you haven't got any publicity, right? No, I don't you're know. Uh, it was started off as families. Like I come from, I have eight brothers and sisters, and yeah. they all had mates. Do you know what I mean? And so that's where it really started, isn't it? You know, and well, like there was, they became like. I don't know what would you call like a symbol for this Northside area. Like yeah, but like that that worked against us. Did it? Absolutely. We're still seeing to this day. We're still seeing as these scumbags who rob cars and batter L ones. But the odd time write a song from the Northside. Like I remember we were playing a gig one time in Vicar Street and, and the point actually, and uh, I, was, I was in the car and there's yoke on FM one hundred four one of the DJs and he said, oh, everybody get their Ben Shermans and their Ronnies out. Aslan are in town tonight, you know, and that's the impression people. Right. Yeah. You now, now we do things. Me and Joe do this acoustic thing where we go around all these little theaters, and it's just, it's just me and Joe, and we tell stories about where the songs yeah. came from, and we play some of the more obscure Aslan stuff as opposed to the crazy world stuff and all. And I found we are getting a completely different audience, an older audience who are sitting down and listening to the songs because it wasn't in the pub or you know it wasn't yeah. any of that mad you know because people expect that they think you know they're going to get their bags robbed or their gigs and stuff like that you know you think? To, to this day it's yeah. still the same you know like a classic example the faint the Jerry fucking Ryan the Jerry Ryan fella right yeah. I remember we were sitting again at one of the year one of these awards things you know and we're at the table and. I was sitting here, Jerry Ryan was there and Dave Fanning was there, right? And there's all our wives and all were sitting at this table, right? And Jerry's around talking to Dave Fanning. Oh, fucking, how's the bleeding going, fucking Christy? Really? You know, dumbing down for you, you know? And I thought, you fucking prick, you know? Mm. That was the attitude, always has been. Still, it still exists to a certain extent, not as bad as it was. But that, so that little working class, finglessy thing, mm. Northside thing, that started off maybe being a little bit endearing and it was almost for the likes of the the, the RTE Dublin Force uh, it was almost like their little uh, forage into the bleeding the slums yeah, the ghettos do you know yeah, what I mean yeah, and getting a little bit, it. yeah exactly you yeah. know so but it, it tended to work against us 
right. as well to, 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 to a large extent you know maybe the saw doctors had the same thing as only they yeah. had the, uh, the, the culture thing correct. yeah <laughs> and they're fucking huge we, we did we yeah. were up in London last week and they were over there to be doing a tour of fucking Scotland and Britain yeah. and that. like they're jamming people in these places yeah and outside of Ireland no one we played with them cares. in Dubai yeah. yeah we played a gig with them in Dubai and they're fucking it's a great gig you know yeah yeah. you can do it if you're Irish and you're away like I remember seeing them in Dubai and they're doing this song and he's saying and I'm standing there in my Galway jersey and I'm 50 yards out from the post and I'm looking at the post in Crow Park yeah. and I'm running at the wall and you could see all the crowds bleeding tears running down really? yeah and I thought oh man you have a sus haven't you yeah you know? well do, it's do, like the sus that they, they what is it's great when something that is local can be identified in the universally, you know. Absolutely. Everyone has their football team. Everyone has their yeah. small town. Yeah. It's not parochial. It's, 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 it's that same thing that we talked about with Bowie, you know. Mm. It's hitting the fucking nerve that, that, that everybody can feel, you know what I mean, that everybody can identify with. Mm. And yeah. the just kind of have that, you know, yeah. whether, you, whether you love them or hate them, you know. Whether, you know... You have that. Anyway, well, uh, so you 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 were struggling then, I think, to get a record deal. Would that be correct? Like, oh that fuck was yeah, yeah. Well, that was the thing then. Saga. <laughs> yeah, well, every band wasn't at that time. You wanted yeah. to get the big deal, especially after Les Enfants thing, you know. Because I remember seeing them then on the tube a while, a couple of months later. And, oh man, that was the. You know, do you remember the tube? There's Enfants on the tube. Yeah, yeah. really. Well, so you know, so yes. you oh, seeing it. So so we had to get a record deal. Had to get a record deal. So um, we, there was a band called. Toy with Rhythm, right? Yeah. And they were playing a gig in the Revenue Commissioners in North Ray George Street, and we were supporting them. And a few record companies came to see them. And we were, as I said, we were, so the record companies start, were coming over to us after it, you know what I mean, and fucking talking to us and all that. And the manager of, an, of Toy with Rhythm, then Danny Kenny, mm. started to manage us, right? So he was, he sent, he, he knew how to kind of deal with these people we didn't so we were going and we were getting we were doing loads of showcases because once one record company they were looking for the next year too at the time do you mm. know what I mean so once one record company showed any interest they all started coming but then as soon as one rejected you they were yeah. all gone you know that was the way the system so we were, we weren't ready at the time do you know what I mean we were only kind of starting to find our feet as, as musicians so we were seeing too early I think you know mm. so the record companies were coming over I remember doing a, a showcase in the television club I don't know if you remember I that remember that was a huge club right? so mm. there was just us on stage full production with fucking three chairs in the hall the three record company blokes yeah. sitting in it, you know, and we're playing as if it's a full venue. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It was hard shit, That's you know. Nuts. I, yeah. I've heard about that kind of thing. Yeah. So, so well, we did, we did a lot of shit like that. But I remember that, you know, your man, it was Chrysalis Records again, and he said, "Listen, we're going to sign the band. Fucking love it. We just have to work out the economics. It's fucking great, you know." So they went home Monday morning. We got a phone. I've changed my mind now. Mm. So that was happening all the time where we, we were just about to sign the fucking deal, you know. Another time we were signing a deal, we had a guy called, this, just before Danny Kenny, um, uh, Dick Kenny, uh, this other guy was managing us anyway, and uh, he rang me from the airport on the way over to London to meet a record company. I wouldn't be able to handle it. So he just, he just lost it. It was the pressure got too much of him and he's an alcoholic and he, he said, I have to leave, I can't do it. Yeah. And he's on his way over to fucking discuss the record, just, you know. So we had <laughs> loads of mad shit like that, you know. <laughs> so then, um, eventually, we, we got signed to EMI, you know. And, uh, can you tell me about your, were you like, 
fucking really ambitious at that point. Yeah. You like the driver. Well, as I, yeah, yeah. Like, I, we, we, we used to rehearse after, after Alan's thing, right? It started getting too loud and too big to be in Alan's garage because his yeah. garage was tiny, right? Mm. So there was this little, there was this, on the run where the new runway is on the airport, there used to be an old farmhouse there and there was a, a redundant pigsty. Yeah. And the, the people that, 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 lived on the farm, allowed us to use this pigsty. Yeah. Now, it was just like fucking nine-inch blocks with a corrugated tin roof, do you know what I mean? It used to be fucking bitter cold in the winter and stuff. We used to get go from Ballymun, we'd, pick, we'd leave the gear in Ballymun in fucking shopping trolleys, wheel it from Ballymun to there every day bar Sunday at nine o'clock in the morning in fucking rain, snow, anything, do you know what I mean? Yeah. So we used to do that every day. We'd be in rehearsal. I used to leave at about one o'clock. I'd go into town, have a singing lesson till about three o'clock, mm. come back and then work till five o'clock with the band. Mm. So it was absolute dedication. Mm. You know and when I mean? did you start singing lessons? When I started when I was about... I was doing it for fucking 15, 14 years or 13 years. So I would have started when I'd be 20s or something like yeah. that. Early and, 20s. Uh, uh, and that, that's unusual, isn't it? For yeah. a singer of... Uh, pop yeah, mountain. well, well, so I used to go, some singing teachers I used to go to, I started, I, like, from the time as a kid I started looking, because I wanted to be, to get the best out of I could be, do you know what mm, I mean? Mm. I was always pursuing excellence. Now, you know, you're never going to achieve that, do you know what I mean? But the pursuit of it is going to raise your standards a little and bit. And did it? Like, absolutely, yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's helped me, in the, you know, now. Your voice is amazing, yeah. Well, I just, like, you kind of understand singing. And again, what I was saying earlier, it's about getting back to who you are, do you know what I mean? And getting rid of all these other idioms. And that's the thing. You see, when you're, when you're expressing an emotion through a song, if you're doing it in somebody else's idiom, you're being a pale imitation of that person. So it's harder for the audience to identify or to connect with that. But when you're giving a real emotion from a real place, the audience are going to connect with that, I think. And that's what I learned about singing. It's, the singing I, I, I studied was bel canto. It's like what Pavarotti does, all that kind of... Mm. I've just had to be doing a singing lesson with that guy, there, Mark, we'll just before you, you got here. So... <clears throat> so that would, we had that kind of dedication to 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 to, to be successful, you know. Yeah. And uh, so when you're li- live on stage, because you know, the intensity of your performance is probably, I think, what draws most people to see. I don't know. I think it is. I mean, you seem to be. Li- do you actually lose yourself? In yeah, the, you know what it is. You're not, like, Joe. I will tell you what it is, yeah. right? I think we all have a little bit of idiot in us we all have a little bit of woman in us you know feminine qualities mm. we have all these different little little parts of us that we can't really expose to the world or we're called mm. faggots or fucking idiots or whatever so when you're on a stage you can kind of just totally mm. let, let all all your inhibitions go and just be exactly who you want to be do you know what I mean for that hour and a half or something and that's what I get out of being on stage do you know what I mean so like people to say to me, you know, why do you do this or why do you do that? And I don't know. I really don't know because I don't know what I do on stage. Do you know what I mean? Mm. I from one day from one thing to the next. People to say to me, that was mad the way you fucking jumped over the speaker. That day. I, I couldn't even remember that. Do you know what I mean? Mm. I just get lost in the in the whole thing. But would you, know? you say in any way that it might have been an escape, and that's why you want yeah. to do it as an escape from things that happened in your life when you were young? Yeah. 
Yeah. And would that have spurred you on to? It would. It would be the, is that like yeah. it, there's loads of like everything that happens. I believe everything that happens in your life. I'm a bit of a Freudian, you know. Mm. I believe everything that happens in your early life manifests in mm. your later life. You know, I was raped when I was a kid. I was raped twice when I was six years of age. When I was nine years of age by two different people. Mm. So that obviously fucked a lot with my head. Do you know what I mean? My sexuality was totally fucked up when I was coming into my adolescence and all that. Mm. So all of those things, you know, all of those. You know, I, I, was, I was in it. I had eight, eight kids in the family. I was the second eldest. So from being the most important person in the house, like a year later, I, I wasn't. And then every year after that, there was yeah. somebody else taking it. So you have all these insecurities, all that. Mm. So then you're looking for approval and you're looking all these things. Mm. That's, what it, that's what you're doing when you're getting on the stage, I think, you know. Mm. But as well as that, like there's a reason that I chose singing to do it as opposed to being a comic or an actor or a, or a ballet fucking whatever, That's you right. know. So I loved singing as well, so, so it was fortunate that I loved singing so I could, but, I could like express you, myself through that. You say it's looking for attention, but it's also an escape, isn't it? Yes, From that's what I mean. Whatever pain yeah. you might, you might oh, be. Oh, absolutely, 100%. Yeah. Absolutely. Because you can be yourself. Because when you're in normal life, all those things that happen to you, that pain is there, you know, that, mm. that's colouring everything that you do. So when you're on stage for that couple of hours, you don't have all those things. They're not fucking colouring what you do. So it's an escape from that, you know, you're mm. free of those chains for that two hours, do you know what I mean? But at the end of the day, I don't know if it's a good a solution. Thing. Oh, it's not a solution. No. Absolutely it's not, but it's an escape for two hours. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Do you know what I mean? And is that what would have been that, uh, I, I mean, I wouldn't have consciously thought that. No, of course I not. I'm, I'm just question, looking now. back on it. Looking yeah, back yeah, on yeah, it now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so, I mean, I think there's kind of a double-edged thing. You know what I mean? I, I think I can see it in me. Huh? So uh, that's possibly what spurred me on to be a performer because I'm a shy person. So but, am I. But yeah. I wanted to get on stage. Yeah, <laughs> so am I. I'm very shy out in yeah, the world. Like, yeah. growing up, I, I met Catherine when I was 14. Like, she mm-hmm. was one of my first girlfriends and I'm st- like, I married her, you know? Yeah. So I even hadn't even got experience in that world. Do you know what I mean? Mm. You know, pulling, going out, dating and all that yeah. shit because I, I was with her from the time I was 14. Mm. But I was extremely shy, you know? And I, I used to, I used to sing in my bare feet for years and years. Mm. And the reason I, I did it was, the first gig I was talking about in, in the uh, Ballymont Towers, I was fucking terrified. I was so terrified and so kind of nervous and shy, if you like. I stood there for the whole gig and just in one spot, me, and my hands were white at the end of the yeah. thing, just holding the mic. So after I said, I said I wouldn't do that again. So I used to walk around the stage, but I'd be tripping over guitar leads and stuff. So then I started taking, I practice, I used to take my shoes off so I could feel the leads as I was walking, because my eyes would be closed, you know, because if I opened them and looked at the audience, I'd shit myself, do you yeah. know what I mean? So I used to close my eyes and I could feel my way around with the, uh, with me, with me, in my bare feet, you know, so. That's how but anyway, I just think anyway, whatever that intensity is, I think that's what that's what really. Um, it, it's not even in the lyrics; it's in just the way you're saying. You know what I mean? I know there are great lyrics, but yeah. people can really yeah, feel something. I don't know yeah. what it's just there. Well, that's that. It's mm. like you know, apart Bowie writes great lyrics and great melodies, mm. but he has something else as well. Do you know what I mean? Mm. There's the Bowie thing. So. You know, even when you were asking earlier on about why we got these crowds, 
I never wanted to analyse that because I think if you did, you'd start contriving it then, do you know what I mean? And it yeah. wouldn't be real anymore, you know? Yeah. So I try to just leave that and just accept that it's there and be grateful that it's there, do you know what I mean? But I don't really investigate it a lot, you know? And then why, uh, at what point <coughs> did you start dabbling in, t- in uh, heroin? Um, I didn't start that till, till my daughter was born, so it would have been about 28 or something like that before I started. But uh, both of my grandfathers were alcoholics and mm. literally keeled over in pubs, you know, just boom, mm. heavy chronic alcoholics. So my parents never drank. So drink was a bit of a no-no in the family and the stories, and of course. So I was never into drink and I never liked to drink what I did to Irish society, you know, the whole gag. I never liked that. So as a young teenager say 18 or whatever I used to start getting into hash and that you know the usual now so I was into drug culture and unfortunately because you have to go into you know dodgy places to get hash and like the first time I got I got heroin I used to score off this biker over in, in Rat Mines and one day I went he said I've no hash but I've got skag there and I was afraid to say I didn't know what Skag was. Yeah. So I yeah, give us that, you know. So he gave it to me, and I was in a little little bindle, you know, a little wrap. And I was looking at what you get for a tenner, towards what you got in hash for a tenner. I said, yeah. oh, you're fucking ripping me off. I said, what do you do with this? He said, snort it. And I snorted it, and, you know, I thought, oh, fuck, yeah, I'm home. For straight off, first time. Absolutely. Now, I've tried, I, I've, I've drank, you know, I have drank, do you know what I mean, mm. when I was a young fella. I tried hash, I tried acid, I tried coke, I tried speed, I tried them all, right? And I liked, you know, don't get me wrong, I got something now of every one of them, mm. right? But I had this hole inside, this like gnawing emptiness. Do you know when you're starving and you have a kind of mm. empty, kind of hollow kind of thing in your stomach? Mm. Well, I've had that all my life, always had it. And the first day I took heroin, it was gone. Yeah. The f- I'll never forget it. And I just felt, I'm fucking home. I thought, this is how Joe Rooney wakes up in the morning. This is how Catherine wakes up in the morning. This is, how every- this is the way I should feel. John, this is the way it should be. And that hole was gone. And I just felt, I didn't feel hoy or stoned. I felt normal, you know. Mm. And so the next day I had a choice. So you kind of tell yourself the lie think of it this way imagine if it takes exactly 28 days to get addicted to heroin well I kind of told myself I'll do it for exactly 27 days I'll stop the day before I'm going to get do you know what I mean yeah. that's the lie so you kind did you take heroin the, the next day after no no I didn't no, no I, I wouldn't have took it then for fucking probably two years like after oh, that okay, you know what okay. I mean so then you know it took me a while to recognise that do you know what I mean mm-hmm. like the first day it happened I thought that was brilliant do you know what I mean but you know you go back to a thing but mm-hmm. then then, you know, you deal with two, two days in a row, then three, and then eventually one day we were going off to Germany, we were gigging, and um, I just felt fucking shite, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I thought I had the flu, we came back, we were touring, and we finished the German thing, and we came back, we were in Birmingham in, in England, and I said to Danny, I said, you're going to have to get a doctor, I said, I feel fucking shite, you know. So they got the doctor, the doctor came up and says, I can't see anything wrong with you, you know, there's fuck all wrong with you, you don't know. Probably had a bit of a flu. So the next day we had a gig in Waterford. So I rang a mate of mine, I said, listen, I says, uh, we're playing in Waterford tomorrow. I says, will you bring down a bit of gear for me, mm. you know? So he brought a bit of gear down. So I was in the, I, I was kind of hanging together, you know. We did a gig in Waterford and... Um, they were having a signing kind of thing after signing mm-hmm. autographs for th- these kids and that so I went into my room with, with this guy you know and I went in like and I came somersaults out the bleeding door you know, where, where's these fucking autographs <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so the band seeing this 
and there was murder, you know, this yeah. uh, fuck off, you know, you were hanging together. So they knew, that's when I found out I was strung out, you, you know. You didn't even know that you I were know. addicted. No, I didn't know. <laughs> and so, so the whole yeah. thing came to a head anyway, yeah. and there was murder, we were splitting up that day, I'll never forget it. it was, so I said, look, I'm sorry, you know, so I thought I could just stop, do you know what I mean? But, it's, you know, the way heroin is. But you, you, were, you were just sm- smoking it. Yeah. You never went to... No, I did, eventually I'd bought that time I hadn't, yeah. Yeah. Oh Jesus, yeah! I remember being in, in in Bray, in a Jackson Bray, in the old, you know, the public Jacks on the beach, on the promenade, right? There's a Jacks there, right? Yeah. So I went into the men's Jacks. There was no mirror. So I went into the ladies' Jacks. All my veins are gone from years of yeah. abusing them, right? So I used to go into my neck, yeah. and I'm in the Jacks, right? In the fucking ladies' Jacks, yeah. and I'm like this with a syringe into me juggler vein yeah. and these two Owens walked in really old two old old women and they kind of jeez yeah. and I thought I fucking don't be overreacting it's only and I yeah. was honestly thought these were overreacting you know it's probably the most horrific thing they've ever seen in their lives do you know yeah. what I mean but I was so lost yeah. in that fucking world do you know what I mean yeah. that I thought yeah I know it's not a nice life but don't be giving it all that it's not that fucking bad you know yeah. madness it's to you, that was not that's, the, that's yeah. the insanity of addiction you know yeah. it's just, you just, so it got, it got horrendous horrendous yeah. you know but it didn't start off like it started off as I said you know just you know Mickey Mouse and around yeah, yeah. and like I seen Kojak when I was a kid you know I know what I heard of it, but I thought that's never going to happen to me do you know what I mean and um, that so that kind of screwed up the, you know, when you got to your deal with EMI, would you say that it was the um, heroin that kind of screwed up? It wouldn't have helped, do you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. But I don't think it was, I don't think, you know, I think people, some people gave it more credence than it deserved. Because, you know, what we were doing at the time, you look at Oasis, do you know what I mean? They, 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 were, they were celebrated what we were being crucified for right. 10 years earlier. Do you know what I mean? Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like they, they were, remember, the, 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 I don't know if you've seen that the, the, the movie, the Supernova thing. But they, went to, they went to uh, LA, the first thing to LA, and they thought you were buying coke, but they bought crystal meth. So they were up for three days, and they, were, they went on stage, and they were all playing different fucking songs. This was their first gig in LA. I mean, we never got that bad. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Never got anything close to that. Like, I used to keep all that till after the gig. I'd, you know, I'd go off and get something or whatever. But yeah. I tried to not let it affect the thing. Now, eventually it did because, obviously, you know, you weren't as productive as you would have been. Mm. But, it, you know, it wasn't, that wouldn't have been, it was It was how we handled it was what the problem right, was. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So that's that's kind of, the band fucked would me Would have been out. a strong anti-drug thing in other members of the band? Like they the, were all doing coke. They were doing coke. <laughs> you know what I mean? We went to, we went to America. Yeah. And we fucking snorted our way through America and we mm. came back and I couldn't stop. Do you know what I mean? The rest of the band said, right, let's get back to work now. I was an addict, do you know what I mean? Mm. Because of all whatever went on in my life up mm. to that point, you know? Mm. So th- that's the irony of the whole thing. That's what I thought. How can you fuck me out for drugs? Man, he's are bleeding savages, the whole lot of mm. mm. Anyway, that's neither here nor there. Well, it's... It's there. Yeah. Yeah, it's there, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it is there, yeah. Uh, uh, and... Um, I don't know how. When was the first time you tried to stop her? Ah, jeez, like, I can't even remember. No, the, the, the day I tell you more for it, that would have been the first time I tried to stop the next day. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And then I tried a million times after that. You know, mm-hmm. eventually I went over to a place called Tamperebok in Thailand, Thailand yeah. and uh, you, you go into this. It's you, you, you go into like the. It's up in the north Thailand in the jungle, and it's a Buddhist monastery, and you're in a gated like a gated compound. Mm. 
and you go in and you take your money off you and your clothes and your passport and all that and you're given this pink kind of uniform thing so if you escape out to the outs people in the villages will know you've escaped from this so they'll fucking drag you back in again so you've no money anyway so there's no point in escaping you'd starve so to give you on the compound there's like monopoly money that just it's just valid on the compound you know so you can buy kind of pineapples and cigarettes and stuff ever. <coughs> but you were just put in a dormitory and you signed a, a waiver when you went in that if you died it wasn't their responsibility and that you know if you died during the detox so the 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 the, the, the abbot in the in the in the monastery had developed this drink it was made out of all these spices and herbs and shit and he used to drink there's basically 20 of us kneeling in a row and there was a gutter in front of you and a bucket of water beside each person. So you drank this drink and then you drank a load of water and about five minutes later I just started vomiting like fucking profusely projectile vomiting. And it got all the toxins supposedly out of your system, you know. But I remember, like, I'd go back into the dormitory to lie down and used to come in and put a mirror up to see if I was still alive, you know. It was yeah. like I was fucking in bits. At that, you know... So Do you think that was too much, or was that? Anything? It was hardcore, you know. Yeah. Now there's a, there's a lot to be said, you know. I I I believe methadone is a great thing, you know. I think it can it's a great thing. It can be abused, obviously, you know. If it's not treated right, it can be abused. Like anything can be abused, but it is a great softer way of getting you off drugs. Do you know what I mean? But sometimes so for some people, they need. Uh, it needs to be hardcore for them not to do it again do you know what I mean so I'd tried loads of soft options and they went didn't seem to be working for me so I thought well this is a bit hardcore maybe this will work so that was kind of what but what about the initial problem is that not what needs to be oh yeah out? yeah oh you have to get back to that you, but, but you see yeah. you have to stop to be able to go back to that. Right. Do you understand? So that's where the NA thing came in. Do you know what I mean? I start going to NA and all that carry on. So in NA, the 12 steps get you to look at, you know, yourself, you know, and look at the reasons you do things and mm. your behaviour. It's all about behaviour. Like, addiction is all about feelings. Mm. It's about, you have a feeling and you want to change it to another feeling, mm. you know, by using a drug to do that as opposed to using a joke to do or a song to do or a story do you know what I mean mm. it's alright to do it in a healthy way but it's not good to do it in a, in a, in a chemical way you know by taking some chemical like alcohol or or heroin or whatever yeah. the fuck you know mm. so you have to get to the obviously you have to get to the reasons so I, I had to investigate all this rape shit that happened when I was a mm. kid and, and you did that through N.A. Or did you go to a counsellor? I did it through NA. Well, you do it yourself, do you know what I mean? You have yeah. to work on it yourself. But it was NA that gave me the the tools to be able to investigate. Yeah. And, 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 you know, maybe I could still probably do it on my counsellor if I'm totally honest, do you know what mm. I mean? Because mm. there's still a lot of shit there. Mm-hmm. But um, I just, I mean, I have cancer and I have no great fucking desire to get into all that, you know? I just want to... get on with it, you know? Are you, are you happy now, would you say? I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm very happy, yeah. Are you? Yeah. Yeah, you like I have three grandkids. I have a daughter. I have three grandkids. I have a lovely wife. Mm. I'm happy where I am. You know, you know. I've, I've nothing to be fucking. I've nothing to be unhappy about. You know what I mean? Yeah. I've had a really good life. I've had a really, you know, varied life. A very colourful life. You know, mm. I've been all over the world. You know, what the fuck else can you have? I mean, I could have a bigger house. People say Aslan should have been this and you should have been that. That's all bollocks, you know what I mean? Mm. I, you know, I, I was saying this, we did that Tommy Tiernan show a few weeks ago, and I was saying this, I would much rather <coughs> today 
have written Crazy World and This Is, right? Those two songs just... Mm. And Dan sang a great version of fucking some song, somebody else's song. Cover, yeah. A cover and be famous, like, like Boyzone or something, mm. and have made millions. Mm. Do you know what I mean? I would rather... Be, you know, when I go to my grave, I'd rather be the, be who I am mm. than be a millionaire who sang other people's songs. Oh, yeah. Because that's what's important to me. That's not to say that they're wrong and I'm right. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Do you know, that's what that's what their right is. That's what's right for, for, for Ronan Keaton or fucking whatever. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, well, you probably chose a more difficult path by, yeah. by wanting to do original. Yeah, and, uh, yeah. you know, that's, that's mm. the path I chose, and that's yeah. the path they chose, and that's cool. Yeah, you have to you have to live with your own thing. Yeah. And I, I was just wondering though about I was actually talking to Jimmy Smith. He's the with the Bogey Boys. Do you remember the Bogey? I know boys? Jimmy Smith. Yeah. Right, right. He was talking about this the difference between him having to be in a band and maybe yourselves who are working class lads and having to survive than maybe the Edge who <laughs> may have like he said that he was backstage when you two were at doing a gig and they were trying to get signed and the A and R man had walked out. Be- after their first song and the edge said jeez if we don't get signed in the next year my parents are going to make me go back to college and he was looking at him going I yeah. have to work for a living you know what yeah, I mean well. do, you, do, you, do you know what I mean I don't want to put the edge down he's a lovely fella I'm sure yeah. but uh, What's do you know what that? I mean it's hard to, to for, it's a hard work, for, for some people, for some yeah. people to, to, yeah. to, to but that's that's the edge um, the edge the Edge hadn't got a lot of talent as a guitar player, yeah. but he's made huge fucking strides and yeah. huge, um, huge inroads in what the little bit of talent he had. And you yeah. can't take that away from him. No, no, I'm, I'm, he's no, a I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Been, you two yeah. are the, one of the best things ever come out of this country musically, yeah. and a lot of people are jealous. Of that. And I can understand why Jimmy would be jealous. Jimmy is a ridiculous musician. Mm. He's a hugely yeah. talented musician, mm. and like oh, he, he, I don't think he said he was jealous. Now I don't. No, in fairness. But, but that that sounds <laughs> to me like there's a bit of well, I'm a bit of what envy. What he's saying is the difficulty in. He called it some highfalutin thing like constructionism or something. Anyway, I don't know. Well, basically, well, that you've got to make a living. If you're a working class fella or girl, oh, I understand and that. Yeah. So you got to kind of balance that with trying to make a bit of art. Yeah. But you still got to make a living. Yeah. So you, like you convinced, it was a lot easier for you. Yeah. yeah the rest I understand. Of the band to give up their jobs. Yeah, I understand what you're saying, and I agree with you, and I agree yeah. with Jimmy Smith. There was that, you know. You, a lot of people, some people had it a lot easier than we would have, you know. Mm. And even down to, you know, the hot house flowers could speak Irish. So they kind of got in with RTE, which helped, you know what I mean? Yeah. All that carry on. You know, so there's always, there's always, money always fucking helps, always. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? In, in any fucking, any field. You know, I always look at it this way, right? Mm-hmm. I don't know how many show, show jumping potential tennis champions yeah. or show jumping champions were born in Fingless yeah. or Ballymun. Because you're never exposed to it, so we never know. Do you understand? Yeah, absolutely. So, I agree totally with so you. So it's, it's a lot easier. You know, these people, you, you know, they usually go to skills that are, you know, if they're really good skills, they can kind of recognise the talent early on mm. and, you know, capitalise on, you know, on that talent and mm. bring that talent out. So money always helps, you know what I mean? And, and it's just the way it is. That's the way the, the, yeah. the way it is. 
Yeah, I, I, that's what I'm trying to say. It's that mm-hmm. money. Like, there's a lot of this um, new uh, uh, kind of idea. If you if you say to yourself, I can be that. Visualising. Yeah, oh, and all that. Oh, Jesus. Right. It's but, all bullshit. But if you come up in the wrong area, it's it's tougher. Yeah, constantly. Like, <laughs> you know, Colin, Conor McGregor is into that visualisation, yeah. you know. Yeah. And, you know, I can understand it. You know, it worked for him in fighting. You can't kick your way to, to to the top of the pops or kick your way to the fuck to a Grammy, or you yeah. can't kick your way to an Oscar or punch your way to an Oscar. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Or you can't t- you can't joke your way to a fucking. Do you understand? Or, or, so it all depends on the the medium you, you choose in your visualization. Do yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah. So I don't really agree with that totally because. You know, some bloke and fingers could have visualised all he fucking liked about being the, the Wimbledon champion, mm. but the chances of it ever happening were fucking slim. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. You know, and he would have had to do a lot more visualisation than <laughs> other people yeah, that were exactly. born and fucking. Yeah, you know. I'm not saying you can't do it. But, uh, well, it is. It's but, possible, but, but you know, but, everything's everything's uh, relative, isn't it? Yeah, do you know it what is, I mean? Yeah. I was just thinking though, as well, like you know when. Um, the way it is now with the music industry, like there probably wouldn't be, you know, you, 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 well, exactly. So you got to deal with EMI, you got to tour America and yeah. do we all were the that last fucking to do mad all that. shit. Yeah. No band's going to get that no, now, are they? And that's great, you know. Yeah. Not not great that's not happening, but it's no. great that we got in there before the whole thing ended, you know. Yeah, yeah. Because now records, you see, the re- record, record companies don't matter anymore because records don't matter anymore. Yeah. For example, we released an album, one of the, not the last album, the, the album just before that, and <laughs> it cost us ninety grand to record the album, right? Yeah. So we and we pay it for it. We pay for it, finance everything ourselves. Now we don't have a record company anymore to finance. Right. Now we use a record company to distribute the album because they have the distribution network. But we actually to keep to keep artistic control over the music. We pay for it. We do ourselves because we found that when you're with a record company, they want you to sound like this, and they give you this producer. To, you know, and it, mm. it changes who you are, and you end up with a product that you're not happy with and stuff like that. So we found this way was better for us. So anyway, it cost us ninety grand to record the album. In the first two weeks, we sold forty thousand pounds worth of albums, and there was two hundred and fifty thousand pounds worth downloaded illegally. In the yeah. first two weeks of the fucking launch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you know, there's there's really not, the only the only point in making a record today is to keep your profile. It's just like an ad or something. Exactly. Yeah. That's all it is. It's not like an ad. It is an mm-hmm. ad. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's to keep your profile up there and let people know what you're doing. Do you know what I mean? What what mm-hmm. kind of music you're doing? But as regards, and even selling, like say, Bowie, you were you were talking about how little Bowie had sold up to yes. uh, that. Yeah, up to the internet. That's dance, say. Yeah, yeah, or whatever. Like, he would never have got to develop now, no, would he? No, no. Oh, no, absolutely. Listen, yeah. there would be no Bob Dylan today. There would be no Elton John today. Yeah. None of those people would exist today. Years ago, they used to sign on development deals. Even you too. You two, when they were signed, they weren't expected to kick it off on their first album. Yeah. They were kind of their second. The record company would have been looking for their second or third album mm. for it to happen. Let them develop, you know. Mm. No such thing. You make an album now. And if it's not number five in the fucking chart, you drop the next day. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? I've seen these programs on TV, these boy band things and all. Yeah. And like you see a man, he got he put a band together, a boy band. This is the guy that used to manage um, new kids on the block. Yeah. So he had a thing called Farming the Band. It was a, a documentary thing on yeah. the telly. So they formed this band. He auditioned hundreds of singers, the usual show. Got a band together, kind of got them in, got songwriters in, wrote the song, got 
stylists saying stylised the band, gave them their image. Everything was set. Band looked great, sounded great, released the record. Mm. So they're waiting for it to go on the charts, and it says it's gone up to fucking 14. If it doesn't get to 10, yeah. and it didn't, you're fucking sacked. Yeah. Next day, you know. It's bizarre because I would have thought. So there'll never uh, be another we, Bowie. A lot of people were used to hate the record companies, do you know what I mean? But yeah. now looking back on it, you think, oh, it, was, it, was so it did serve a purpose, yeah. yeah. See, because what happened is a lot of record companies, although they had a lot of faults and a lot of shite and there was a lot of bollocks, mm. they also, a lot of the people were people that were in bands, do you know what I mean, who, who didn't succeed in bands but got, wanted to stay in the music industry mm. and became A&R men. Then they became fucking... Managers of different record companies and I formed their own little record company because they didn't like what was happening in big record companies. Mm. So we had all your independent record companies for different types of music. Like I was reading uh, or I was listening to a podcast about Bowie, and even after he's released The Man Who Sold the World, I think. Didn't sell that much, but the record company flew him over to New York and he met Lou Reed and Andy Warhol and all yeah. that. I mean, how would he do that now, you know? No, it wouldn't happen. It wouldn't. It wouldn't yeah. happen now. And it, that inspired him. You Absolutely, know, and, yeah. All those yeah. things made him who he was, you know, and yeah. he developed as an artist. And even probably Lou Reed wasn't selling any records either. Lou Reed would have never sold a record without Bowie. Iggy Pop would have never sold a record, probably. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. He, yeah. he as well as them helping his career, he fucking launched their careers. Do you know what I mean? He yeah. launched a lot of people's careers. Mm. So... Mm. That, that whole that whole mixing bowl you know it was very healthy and record companies did that then and you know mm. like we were put in with different people you know so it's very healthy mm. you know like one thing the record company when we were at EMI the first album I Love This Is The Sea the, the, the Waterboys album oh, yeah. with yeah, yeah. of the Moon and all on it and Carl Wallinger was in the band then. He, he, he had a band called World Party after that. I don't know if you remember him. Mm. But he was he was one of the main people, as well as Mike uh, Scott. Scott in, in uh, He was the main songwriter in, in The Waterboys. So I heard that album and I thought, this this production, and I just loved it. It was nice and raw and edgy. And mm. So a guy called Mick Glossop done it. So we said, we want this guy, Mick Glossop. And they were saying, they were trying to put us with a whammy type Really, producer, and yeah. Billy had the black hair, a blonde hair, and I had the black hair. It looked black and white, fucking Scotch whiskey. They were yeah. almost, you know, trying to promote. Yeah, I said, fuck that, no way, we're not going that way. So you have that, you have to fight against that sort so of that shit. That was the you know? side of the record company that was a bit. You yeah, to fight against, but then Absolutely. the other side. But then the other side was very good, you know. Yeah. Like they, they gave like we, we they gave us the money to go over and tour America, you know. Do mm. we, we, I mean, we toured, we, we toured with Stiff Little Fingers. We done a tour of Europe mm. with Stiff Little Fingers. They gave us the money to be able to do that because you, you have to buy onto these tours. You know, you, you, people think you get onto these tours and and that you're getting paid, but no, you're actually paying you, to get. You, on. We, we, we toured with Graham Parker in America. It cost us sixty grand to tour America with him, mm. and you know it cost eighty grand in the end. But we got sixty grand initially off the record company, mm. so all those things are possible. Plus, we could get Mick Glossop and produce the album mm. because. Like he 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 charges what two thousand pound a day. You couldn't afford to do that now. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Mm. So they they pay for all that. You know. Now you're paying for it eventually, but they loan you. A record company's like a bank. Mm. They loan you the money. So to in do advance that. is something you have to pay back. Oh, absolutely. Well, if you make money, you'll pay it back. Yeah, if and you, you don't make any money. Yeah, and you had to sell a lot of records to make money, you know. Mm. Because mm. when you see it's what people don't understand is right when you sell a record. Only probably five pence out of that record is yours. Mm. So only that five pence goes off your bill. Mm. 
Mm. Like the fucking 13 euros doesn't go off your bill. No. Do you understand what I mean? Yeah, right. So it takes yeah, a yeah. long time to pay that money back. And, and they have that sus, you know. you're paying for the limos as well and all oh, that Everything. Stuff. Yeah. Every fucking... And listen, I tell you, mm. we had a guy called Bud Prager, right? He used to manage Foreigner. Mm. And he was managing us for a while. So we met him over in New York, right? Yeah. And the day we were, one of the days we were meeting him, he had a look, huge office and all that. He managed the Benny King. He managed a lot of big artists. Mm. But I couldn't make it this day. I was fucking dying with the flu, right? Mm. So I stayed. I was, li- I was living in an apartment in New York. So I'm in the apartment anyway. And uh, one of the lads came back with a bowl of chicken soup and says, uh, Bud's daughter who worked for him, is, you know, said, this is really good chicken broth. that will help you with your cold. Mm. Why have we got a fucking bill for it? Yeah. we got a bill for the fucking cup of soup. <laughs> fucking animals. So, yeah. you know, for fuck's sake. And uh, how did you travel around the America? Were you flying from place to place? Was it by tour bus? Tour bus and tour flying. Bus. Both, you know. Yeah, yeah. We, we Actually, no, sorry, it wasn't. We, tour, we, we, uh, we flew over and then we busted. The it was tour, great. Tour bus? Oh, it was fucking great. Was it, yeah? Absolutely fantastic. Fantastic, like a sleeper bus, you know, you could sleep on it. But it's just, I mean, what, how we were always in, always in more of America than most Americans were, do you know what I mean? Mm. Like, I remember reading a statistic that um, 30% or 80% of Americans have never been 30 miles outside the radius of where they are born, mm. yes. you know, that's why they're so fucked up, you know, <laughs> that's why they vote for Trump, yeah. but. You know, I've seen low, I've seen the whole of America, you know, and driving, you know, down fucking all these motor highways and shit like that and going to these little, you know, the, with the truck stops and just all mm. that. Just the whole thing was great. I remember we were playing in Detroit, right? And in the place, the street, the street that it was on was um, at about nine o'clock, a fucking, yeah. it was like a real scummy area, right? Yeah. And... A police car and a line of policemen went up the street and all the drug dealers you could look out the window of the gig right when he went into the gig when we pulled up at the gig a bloke came out with a gun and stood at the fucking van with a gun an armed guard while you yeah. were loading the gear in because the blokes would come up and just take the gear off you the scumbags right so they're all, they're all selling you could see them selling drugs on the corners and all which is handy but then um, <laughs> when the, the, this sweep came up right at about nine o'clock, this sweep came up the street. It was like Leeson Street after nine o'clock. Mm. Then all these fucking cars start pulling up, like fucking Jags and Porsches and all this, you know, mm. pulling up and all these people getting out, coming into all the clubs and into where we were playing as well, do you know what mm. I mean? So I went out, I said, this is fucking deadly. So I went out before we went on and I'm sitting on the steps with the bouncers, you know, and this bloke pulls up in a fucking, uh, in, a, in a Porsche and he gets out and this young bloke was just walking by and your man gets out of the car and he does this. <clears throat> see, a man just takes the fucking keys and he kind of he looked at he looked over at us to see. He's going to. Your man thought he was the valet. You yeah, know? yeah, yeah. He gets into your man's Porsche and he's fucking gone. <laughs> We're sitting there pissing ourselves, laughing. Your man thought he was. Oh, it was fucking great. But just, just stuff. The stuff you see, you know. I remember we were playing in New York and I went outside to this bloke. He was outside and he's not been there. I was fucking, there was snow. New York, and we ever been in New York in winter? In winter, yeah, the snow. It's yeah. fucking cold, cold. Yeah. This bloke was sitting outside the venue all night, all day. As we were setting up right through to the gig at late at night, he was still fucking out with a cup begging, you know. Yeah. So I went out to him and I was, I was talking to him. I fucking felt terrible. Sorry for him. I ended up going off and scoring with him. Mm. I said, come here, you don't know where to get a bit of gear, do you? He says, yeah. He said, I don't take it. He said, I take crack. 
I said, well, look, I'll buy you some crack if you'll fucking get us some gear, you know? Yeah. So the two of us went out in a taxi and we got it. But I was talking to him then, and I said, how the fuck, you know, did you end up, like, uh, like s- s- sitting on the fucking street all day? Mm. He was married, he was a carpenter, and he was married to this board, right? And it was, it was our birthday, so we came home early to give her a surprise and caught her in bed with this bloke. Marriage broke up, she fucked him out. And he just kind of went on a bit of a bend and then fell through the cracks. And in America, there's no social welfare system. Mm. So if you go through the cracks, it's very fucking hard to get back up again. Do you know mm. what I mean? That was it. He was fucked. But I'll tell you a, f- a funny story about New York, right? When I was living in New York, when we split from, from Aslan, I was with Dick Conor Goff, a thing called Dignam Goff. Yeah. I went off to America. We were living, I was living in New York for about a year. So I gigging all around the east coast of America and stuff. So I scored down in Alphabet City every, you know, I scored my gear, you know. Mm. And uh, I scored off this bloke. And one day he says to me, instead of getting 10 bags, dime bags, they call them, mm. you know, he says, well, don't you get like a gram? It'd be much cheaper for you to buy a bit of weight, you know what I mean? Mm. So he said, well, can you get me a gram? He said, yeah, no problem, you know. So the next day, met him. And uh, he gave me, I gave him $150 or something. And he gave me the gram of gear, you know. Mm. So we opened it and see heroin here is brown. Heroin here is brown. The heroin in America is white. So you know. So I wet my finger and done that and it starts sizzling on my tongue. This is fucking Andrew's liver salts. So this was a big fucker, you know, because over six. I went, Oi! And your man ran, right? So I fucking ran after him. So I'm running through fucking New York, through Alfred. He ran into the projects, which would be the Ballymun of fucking New York. I am running after him. Yeah, and next minute I, I'm looking. I'm the only white fucker in the whole place. There, everybody's black, mm. and the two of us just must have had a, an epiphany at the same moment where he said, "What am I running from this prick for?" And I said, yeah. "What am I going to do if I catch this fucker?" Yeah, 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 yeah. So he turns around. He's just like a cartoon. He's fucking chasing me out of the place. <laughs> <But> just <laughs> really? fucking crazy shit, you know? Mad, mad shit. Fucking hell. Mad. Just thought of that there. Funny yeah. story. And do you think it's a, is it possible you could be a, a like um, psychopath? <laughs> psychopath? <laughs> no. no, that you could um, just live and be no, and take heroin and just if you had uh, kept your no, habit I thought under. That. I thought that, but I thought that. You're saying one hundred and fifty dollars a week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But way. you see, addiction is a progressive disease. Yeah, yeah. so. It progresses. So apart from the fact that your tolerance will build. So yeah. if $10 would do you for a day today, mm. in a month's time, $50 you'd need for a day is geared. Do you know what I mean? Right, okay. So it keeps going up. Plus you as a human being deteriorate as your addiction progresses. Do you know mm. what I mean? You want more and more. So mm. it wouldn't work. It just, I thought yeah. that myself. I yeah. thought if people just allowed me to just... I'll earn my own money. I don't have to go out robbed. Do you know what I mean? I yeah. can earn my money. I can get enough heroin to keep me going. If my wife accepts and everybody accepts it. But you're going to be sitting there goofing out. Do you know what I mean? Mm. It's, it doesn't, no, you know, it doesn't it's in an ideal world. Now, I do believe that when people are trying to come off heroin and they go onto a methadone course, mm. methadone stops you craving for heroin. Yeah. Now, you don't really get a stone out of it. There's no... But it can it can stabilise you long enough yeah. for you to be able to try and help yourself and yeah, get yourself, yeah, yeah, yeah. and you can detox easier off methadone than you can. Oh, oh, so what what, uh, what is the length of time it takes to for the withdrawal to? It's a, it's a piece of string, you know. Oh, right, okay. You know, 
I remember stopping one time and I didn't sleep for a month, a whole month. A month. I didn't sleep one fucking minute for a month. Because, you know, heroin, you know... And, and you're what, you're getting all aches and stuff? And yeah, yeah you, you're, you're in a lot. Of, you could get all, see, heroin's a muscle relaxant, right? Mm. But it also, how, how, the, 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 how it's the reason it's so hard to stop taking it is, you have endorphin glands in your body, right, mm. as you know. So when you stub your toe or if you want to have a shit and all these mm. pains that you'd get through your body, as soon as they happen to you, to a normal person, your endorphin gland kicks in and floods you with endorphins yeah. to help you through that moment. Yeah. If you stub your toe or whatever. If you stub your toe or whatever. So when you take heroin, every day you tell the endorphin gland, we don't need you, we have your, our own source. So eventually your endorphin gland shuts down. Mm. So when you stop taking heroin then, this thing is not working anymore. So you feel all those little aches and pains and fucking... Plus, heroin is an anesthetic almost. You know what I mean? It stops feeling pain. Mm. So when you, you haven't felt pain for a long time, you fa- haven't felt emotions for a long time. So when you stop, you come back with a fucking vengeance. Do you know mm. what I mean? Like, I remember stopping and singing. Well, you said doing a gig one day and I was singing the song Crazy World, actually. And Catherine was in the audience. And I just caught her. My eye just kind of caught her for how can I protect you in this crazy? Just mm. that line. And I just thought, you haven't been, you prick. You haven't been protecting. You haven't been fucking doing what you should be doing as a whole. Mm. And I lost it. I, I, was, I was in, at the time, I was only at the stop in two weeks, maybe. So I was still in kind of a bit of withdrawals, you know what I mean? So things like On that. On stage you lost it. Yeah. Just start, I had to get Billy to take over the song. I just mm. fucking lost it. I just started bawling my eyes out on stage. So, mm. you, you, you know, all that shit, you know. That's what makes us so hard. Like trouble you that you weren't around for your kids, maybe sometimes. Yes, of course. Yeah. Oh fuck! When I when I got the cancer, you know, I was in hospital, and I was going through all my life, you know, and and I remember my daughter coming up, and she was there, you know, and I just cried for maybe two days. Do you know what I mean? Just apologising to her and Mm. telling her I was so sorry for fucking all the all the insecurities I fucking gave her Mm. because she didn't think she was worth the love that I wasn't given you know what I'm mm. saying so all those things are that she's inherited because of me and I can see them do you know what I mean mm. and you know uh, that that's horrifying do you know what I mean That, that that's mm. probably the, the you know even now thinking about it it's fucking it, you know it's bad It's that's something I never get over and it's something I, can, I can't undo as all I can do is be better, a better person yeah. today do you know what I mean but that even saying that that's very logic do you know what I mean but when I go to bed and I'm lying in the bed at night and I think of that shit, that hurts. You know what I mean? Mm. That, I don't, I don't like that about myself. You know, that's and one I fucked up big time. You, you know. To her about it, you? Oh yeah, I apologize. And she says, "Look, it doesn't matter. You know, you were the best you could be at that time, and all." But that doesn't do anything. That doesn't make me feel. You know, it makes me feel a bit better, but I still feel like a cunt. I still. You know, I don't have a lot of regrets in my life of things I've done. Do you know, what I, mean? mm. I don't even regret becoming an addict because it helped me who I am. But mm. I do regret things like that. You know what I mean? Mm. That I fucking did, did. You know, I wasn't who I should have been for mm. my family. You know, mm. that's a big deal. And you can't go back. You? I can't. Mm. So that fucking and it only came to it only as I said when I got the cancer that time and I was in hospital. It, it, like I was just val- I was evaluating everything. You know, and that mm. was the biggest thing that, that that was my biggest upset in life and my biggest fucking regret you know so oh uh, yeah all the logical all the logical fucking explanation and doesn't doesn't you, you can't know. even when you think about it you, you can't what happened to you as a kid you, there's nothing you could have done yeah and then that's 
Leaves yeah, on but to even the next that, even yeah. that, even yeah. that, even knowing that. Yeah. It doesn't help, do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's still, it's still like I mean, it, it will help a little bit, you know what I mean? And the fact that mm. Catherine and Kara would forgive you, you know, helps a little bit. But it's still, you still feel like a tool, yeah. you know. So that's that. That's that. No. Mm. Anyway, on that bombshell, <laughs> as Clarkson would say, I only got, I used to hate that show, and I only got into it recently. It's fucking deadly. Uh, Partridge. No, Alan uh, Partridge? No, no uh, Clarkson. Oh, yeah, that's yeah, yeah, yeah. That's top uh, gear. Top gear, yeah. Alan Partridge's a genius. Yeah. He used to say that as well. On that bombshell. Oh, does he? Yeah, yeah. He's fucking great. He is great. Yeah, he's amazing. He's brilliant, yeah. yeah. Brilliant. Steve yeah. Coogan. Yeah, he's brilliant. Um, yeah, okay, well, listen, I suppose I won't keep you any longer unless you want to keep talking. No, that's cool. Uh, if you're happy, I'm happy. <laughs> we ended Catherine, on a happy You want your note. kitchen back? Oh, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and um, Charlie Charlie's looking Jack or Jack sorry Jack sorry Jack he's calling you Charlie yeah sorry why is Charlie on your mind uh, I was up with Eric Lawler his dog's called Charlie actually that's what it is right okay it's not Charlie <laughs> <laughs> um well, listen, cool. I haven't met you, well, I've only met you that time at Slane briefly, but it's been great. Yeah, I enjoyed that myself, um, actually. I, uh, I hate doing an interview, Joe. Mm. You know, I've done a lot of interviews, mm. and I've actually said it to a lot of kids who'll be coming out of college, you know, mm. and, and do you have a list of questions, you know? Mm. I fucking hate interviews like that. It's, you don't no, get that done, you know? It's, it's, you're better just talking like that, you know? Yeah, 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 yeah. And so yeah. How, how, is you, how are you doing now, like your... Uh, right, your, the, 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 the condition I have is called amyloidosis. I have two cancers. I have a thing mm. called amyloidosis and multiple, multiple myeloma. Right, the amyloidosis is the most serious one. So basically how it works is my my blood, my marrow produces, everybody's marrow produces these proteins called lambda and kappa proteins, right? Mm. So you and everybody produces one for one. So there's a ratio of one for one, mm. right? So what I do is I produce two, I, I start, my kappa protein produces more negative proteins, right? Mm. And these proteins attack attack my uh, organs, my kidneys and my heart and all that mm. carry on. So when I got the amyloidosis, it did that by the time they diagnosed it, my heart, I have a defibrillator here, you know, mm. defibrillator for kicking yeah, yeah. So I flatlined in hospital now because my heart is about two towards, it works about two towards of its, its capacity now, you know, mm. it's what it should be. So by the time they diagnosed it and stopped the, the, the chemo, stopped the production of this mm. thing. So when you did, when I did the chemo, I did the chemo four years ago. So the chemo kind of stopped the production of the amyloid or the cancer, mm. and uh, for four years on average it stops it. So I went. I have to go to London because they have a scan over there called a SAP scan. They don't have one here that detects it. So I was over there in January, the beginning of this month. And you seen it was reproducing again. Mm. So I'm back on chemotherapy. So I started chemotherapy a couple of weeks ago because it's, pre- it's pre- cancer's producing again. Mm. So because it stopped it the first time doesn't mean it's going to stop it this time. You don't know. Every mm. time they roll out the dice. Mm. So I'm just hoping at the moment, you know. But I'm really sick at the moment, like at the end of my stomach, and you're seeing me there in and out of the pain. Yeah. I'm on fluid because it affects your kidneys and stuff. You're not getting rid of fluids. So you have to take tablets to make it get rid of fluids. And yeah, right, yeah. So it's a fucking nightmare, you know. Yeah. I was actually talking to Andrew uh, Casty down in Boyles and Slane there, and he was oh, saying yeah. that his father... Um, That's right, I met sick. his father just before he died. And uh, he said that 
Oh, you had to carry him down the stairs. That's is right, that right for the gig, yeah. yeah. Um, I don't know if he... Did you say, what has he got or something? What's wrong with him? Because... No, I don't know. I don't oh, no, so. no, 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 I knew no, he was no, sick. I knew no, he had no, cancer no, and all that. No, yeah, that was very sad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was up, he was very ill, you know, and he was, it was just before he died. Yeah. And uh, what happened was, he, he'd, want, he'd wanted to run a festival in, in Slane a couple of years before that, like yeah. the one that I met you at. Oh, yeah, yeah. And yeah, yeah. Uh, it never materialized, but he wanted us to, to, to play at it, you know, mm. to, to headline it, but it never materialized. Mm, mm. So he asked us, would we play? It was just before he died. Mm. Andrew asked us, would we do a gig in Boyles? Yeah. So the only way we could make it feasible was to do two gigs because it cost us too much to go up and do one gig. So yeah. we did two nights there and it was particularly, it might as well just been for the father. And there were great gigs in that, mm. you know, but we did it specifically for the father. And then I think the reason that that gig happened last year mm. was Andrew probably still had it in his... You know, that star always wanted to do this. Yeah, right. I think yeah. I'm just surprising right. here. Yeah. But that's the, yeah, that's the story. But no, yeah. maybe one of the other said something like that. I don't know. But yeah, I, okay. I, I knew what the whole deal was. So. Right, 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 right. Uh, anyway, yeah, thanks for having a chat. I was just talking, I believe you were in the Luke Kelly. Uh, oh, that was tribute. great, yeah. Yeah. Enjoyed that. I believe yeah. you sang uh, uh, at a higher. Octave. Who told you that? <laughs> Vinny told me. Oh, man. Do you know what happened was, right? I sing, I sing uh, Greenfield of France in A, right, and I sing Crazy World in D, right. Mm. So I had no guitar, I had no musicians with me. I just went in, yeah. and I met a banjo player for the first time, an Illin Poy player, yeah. uh, John Sheen from the Dubliners, the violin player, yeah. and and a guitarist. So I said, right, I do. I do that and A and I do that and C. So we went through a verse of each in the dressing room yeah. like five minutes before the gig, right? Yeah. So I said, when we go out, you just hit the fourth card and I'm off. That'll get me the note and I'm head off, right? Mm. So we just put on. So instead of it starting, when I was a young lad, you hit the card. When I was a young lad, I carried me pack. So by the time it went, Jesus. by the time it got to, uh, what's the chorus of it? And um, the man played hey. waltzing Matilda. You were up there. I was up fucking there. So yeah. I says to her on the way home, I says, I said, the last time the chemo affected my voice really badly. Yeah. I says, the fucking chemo's already hit my voice. I says, oh, I was bleeding, struggling with that song. Yeah. I said, that's an easy song. Normally I wouldn't have a problem with it. Yeah. I says, I was fucking struggling there. And I was depressed as fuck yeah. all day Sunday here. I was fucking, God, honest to God, I was in the height of it. So I'm here on Sunday night and Chris... Kavner, the guy who does the Lou Kelly, who, who he banjo player on the night, says to me, you know, he says, he rang me, and he says, Jesus, John Shane come over to me, he says, that fucker's not human, you know, and I says, why? He says, we hit the first card of Crazy World, yeah. which is a D, and you start singing fucking Greenfields of France, so that's a half a knock the up. Yeah, you know yeah. I mean? He says, how the fuck is he hitting those notes? And I says, you're bleeding, kidding me. <laughs> I says, I'm at the being slit, slitting me fucking wrists here all day today, thinking my voice was gone because I couldn't get the notes as comfortably as I'd normally get them, you know. That's so unbelievable. Was, yeah, I was, I was fucking thrilled because I really thought, my voice is fucked, that's it, I'm fucked. Yeah, yeah. Because I don't know, I don't know, as a singer, right, every time, every morning you wake up, 
and I, I kind of eh, do a few little sing something just to see if your voice still there. It's probably like you as a comedian. Do you know mm. what I mean? You're always trying to keep on top of your game. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Mm. So the thoughts of my voice being gone, it's fucking crucified no. me. Like all the addictions thing and all. If I hadn't had this, I'd have never got out of that. Mm. Like no matter how much fucking work I'd have done on myself, mm. if I hadn't had music and me singing and that, mm. I couldn't have done it. That's what helped. That was a huge, you know... So yeah, yeah no, that's well. I hope it's recorded. I think it is actually. It is recorded. Yeah, yes, yeah. I tell you, I wouldn't listen to it because no, it, no it's fucking dread, terrible. You know, it's because you know I wasn't comfortable singing. Oh, so right, it's okay. kind of I'm struggling through it. You know, ah, it sounds good. Have listen to it. You might, you um, might find it on YouTube or something. I'm gonna ask Christy. I don't know if you you, you can do this if you want. But with any chance you could sing a song or something like that? <laughs> what would you like me to sing? Uh, obviously a cappella, but. Uh, right. I'll sing a verse to the Greenfields of France. Ah, right? oh, class. Oh, yeah, hold on, we get some water. Um. Um. Oh, wait, hold on. Right, this is a song, I've only sang it a couple of times. It's written by the same bloke who wrote the Greenfields of France, a guy called Eric Bogle. He's a Scottish immigrant, lives in um, Australia, and he was mm. a real anti-war kind of dude. He's still mm. alive. Mm. But he wrote this song, and he wrote Greenfields of France. I'll just sing a verse of it, right? Thanks. <clears throat> when I was a young lad, I carried me pack and I lived a fair life of a rover. From Murray's Green Basin to the dirty outback, I waltzed my Matilda all over. Then in 1916, my country said, son, it's time to stop your rambling, there's work to be done. So they gave me a tin hat and they gave me a gun and they sent me away to the war and the band played waltzing Matilda as the ship pulled away from the quay but amid all the cheers flag waving and tears we were sailed off to Gallipoli tis well I remember that terrible day when our blood stained the sand and the water and in that hellhole they called Suvla Bay we were butchered like lambs to the slaughter then a big Turkish shell blew me arse overhead and when I awoke in my hospital bed and I saw what it done oh I wished I was dead never knew there were worse things than dying so no more I'll go waltzing Matilda across the green bush far and near for to hump tent and pegs a man needs both legs no more waltzing Matilda for me waltzing Matilda waltzing Matilda who'll come a waltzing Matilda with me and their ghosts can be heard as they march past the billabong who'll come a waltzing Matilda with me well that was great wasn't it i mean what a man 
Christie uh, was just brilliant and his voice is amazing um, I, I would love to talk to him again sometime so uh, yeah anyway but look if it's your first time uh, listening to the podcast do do have a listen into the archive there there's lots of great ones uh, I, we mentioned Willie White at the beginning but there's uh, also a great one with Anne Gildee I would say uh, really like that I'm going to mention ones that aren't uh, the famous people that everybody goes to listen to there's also uh, Jason Byrne that's uh, live at the Stag's Head he, he's one of the more famous people but it's I, I put the title on wrong there I just said live at the Stag's Head but it's Jason Byrne and so if you could check that one out I think it's the last live one we did at the Stag's Head and um, there's um, Mundy there's Simon Delaney Fikra Trench, pretty good one. Oh, Christine Volset more recently, the girl who spent time with the guys who ride horses around city centre in, in uh, around Cork Street. Uh, yeah, so there's lots of lots of good ones there. And uh, next week, uh, the next one at least, I don't know when it's coming out because I can't get it out every week because I'm too fucking busy, motherfucker. Um, it's going to be Mary Coughlin, so I've talked to her two days ago, and I, it's a great one. Uh, and I'm going to be talking to Dan Vital here in the Bronx. Motherfucker. Uh, why am I talking like that? Jesus Christ, man. Okay, so uh, do that. So also, if you haven't listened before, but if you have listened before and you enjoy it, you know that, you know, you subscribe to my podcast and you're enjoying it. Well, please give me a review. I mean, it really doesn't take that long. You can go on iTunes. If you've got open your laptop. Go on iTunes. Give me a five star. Five stars. I'm going for five stars. Most people give five stars. I see a woodpecker over there. By the way, I don't think I've, have I ever seen a woodpecker before. I'm definitely looking at a woodpecker here. Yeah, just just telling you that. And uh, five star. I say five star. I'm, I'm going to say five star review and uh, and a, a review, a written review. Just one line. It doesn't have to be in depth. Just say you know something good. Please do that, though, because it really uh, helps the podcast. And uh, I mean, it's all free, so just that's that's the one thing I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask you for for payment for this podcast that is free. Give me the star rating five and a review of one line. That's it, two lines if you like, whatever. But one is enough. Um, uh, so uh, yeah, and uh, yeah, coming up, there's lots of good ones, and uh, I'm on uh, for my gigs and for any contact you want to make with me you can get me at www.joerooneycomedian.com or on my twitter joerooney1 and you can tell me give me your fucking reaction to the podcast on on twitter tweet tweet if you like it tweet about it go on facebook at joe rooney comedian is it oh joe rooney just find me on fucking facebook okay sorry for cursing so much i'm just so angry um, this is kind of a cool park I'm in. Anyway, yeah, do all that, and uh, um, I, I'd be much appreciated by him if you did. So I'm going to see. Get out! I'm going to get out of here now. I'm, I'm, I hope you like my podcast. I hope you think it's good. I'm just walking around here in a motherfucking wood in the Bronx. Where the cars all honk? Oh, fuck off. That is the worst rap ever. Okay, right. So, uh, I've just come to a stone in the middle of a wood. In the middle of a wood in a park in the Bronx. And graffiti's on this rock, kind of rock, I would say, is Dump Trump. And uh, literally, no one is going to see that piece of graffiti. You know, it's like, 
I'm here on my own. I'm talking to myself because nobody, I'm, there's no one here. So what kind of angry rebel just went all the way into the middle of a wood near a swamp? There's a big swamp here and graffitied. You know, when you've got, fa- you've got Facebook, you've got Twitter, you've got uh, Instagram and you just go into a wood and graffiti on a rock. Dump Trump. <sighs> yeah. Okay. See you next time. I'm oh, yo. Yeah, man. See ya. <laughs> I can't believe I just scratched that car. Find my insurance card. Dude, what do you have in this glove box? Ew, are these socks dirty? Oh, forget about the socks. I need my insurance card. Just pull it up on the State Farm mobile app. But I can do that? Oh, hey, I can do that. Yep, it's called service. I can file a claim on here, too? Yeah, it's it's called service. Whoa, I can call my agent, too? It's called service. Insurance with local agent? It's called service. Call State Farm agent Megan Roberts in Atlantic today. 